Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at SchoolStatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, Episode 164. This week, many schools, especially in the South, are a week or more into the new school year. So what's happening? Are teachers and students contracting COVID-19? Stay with us. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, unsure if you're making a difference as an educator? Our guest offers some hope. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here. Today is August 23rd, 2020, and I'm joined by friend, principal, and co-host Christina Pollard. Christina, happy birthday to you. Thank you. Thank you. That is a that's a big deal, right? It I mean, is a big deal. Let me tell you, in the times that we're living in, and unfortunately, Americans lo- losing their lives, I am excited and blessed, and I own these 46 years. Hey, that's good. And I wasn't going to ask, but that was nice of you to share, share that information with us. Um, I will tell the world. We've got all eyes on us here in South Mississippi. I know, um, and, and really all of Mississippi for that matter. I've been kind of keeping up with the um, cases of like Mississippi teachers that have contracted mm-hmm. um, COVID-19. And, and I will say this, for those who don't know, like your school starts this coming week. So you, while you've had Tomorrow. teachers in the schools. Yeah, you actually have Absolutely. kids coming. I would say, I'm guessing, and I, I'm really shooting from the hip here, I don't know. How many percentage-wise schools in Mississippi do you think have already started with kids as of, I guess, like last week or the week before? I'd say about 70%. What do you think? I was going to say at least half. Yeah. At least half have already started. Um, many are starting this week. And then after the 31st, we will all be in school. Exactly. So um, as of five days ago, because I have not found a more recent report, the um, state health officials have said that 245 Mississippi teachers and 199 students have tested positive for coronavirus. Now that's different than the, I've seen numbers like, oh, thousands have quarantined themselves. That's yeah. that's one thing, but that's quarantining because you might have been exposed. I'm talking about right. actual positive test. Yes. And those are for the schools who have properly reported as required. Ah, this is this is true. Uh, New York Times uh, released an article as of yesterday saying that it is, you know, varies from school to school on whether or not they're going to share this information. And we've seen it across the board. I've seen some schools actually offer daily updates, very detailed yes. breakdowns, and others mm-hmm. who I don't want to say are hiding it, but I think they're, they might be hiding some of the cases. And I don't understand right. the motive and of that. I don't know, but I will tell you that I'm proud of my school district. We're be, we are being honest and we are reporting. Um, I get a debriefing from our head nurse regularly um, in an administrative email. I'm not sure how that goes out to the community, if it does or not. Um, I don't think that's regulated, but it is a regulation that it be reported to the Mississippi Department of Health. And our district is doing that per school. um, The breakdown that I read shows the number of adults um, identified as positive in each school. And then within each school, if there are any quarantines and then the total district number. That that is great. I mean, I think sunlight is a good thing. You know, let people have the information and react how they will with it. Um, now, 
this is the the sad part of things. I, I hear 245 teachers have tested positive in the state of Mississippi. Let's just do basic math. I mean, I'm not a statistician by any means, but we know that it takes a, a little time before you start seeing deaths related to the cases. Um, we've only been in school, like we said, 50-70% of our classes so far in Mississippi. We already have these cases. If you fast forward to the first week of September or second week of September and you say, I have 245 cases, that means, let's just say one percent somewhere around two or three teachers will probably mm-hmm. have passed in the first two weeks of september now we'll see if that yeah. happens but that's that's frightening when you say that and out loud that is terrifying um and every day you know it's really difficult to try to be as positive as possible focus on focusing on providing a safe and healthy environment for students keeping teachers pumped up but you know someone asked me yesterday how i feel and i think my feelings change by the by the hour <laughs> you know one minute i'm like oh we've decorated our school we're ready we've got our learning management our online learning management system ready for those that are virtual we're doing this we're doing that but i am um less than 24 hours from opening the doors to our student body, and I'll be perfectly candid here. I've got butterflies in my stomach because I want us to do everything right according to state, local, and CDC regulations. But at the same time, it's a little bit like um, being in a foreign place and we're about to open our doors and allow germs in. Yeah, and... You know, I just I just wonder, like, how are we going to react as a state if in the first two weeks of September, let's just say three teachers pass? And are, are we going to say and, and you, know, you uh, as an administrator and all these teachers, you have your marching orders. You're doing what you, you're you're being told you need to do and, and you're going to do it to the best of your ability and do it optimistically and a, as well as you can. But it's really the governors um, and the health officials that that can make a change here. And I guess how are yeah. those people going to react to the fact that teachers died. It's going to be a new story. You know, it's going to happen. And is are we going to say as a society and as a, a leaders and our political leaders, are they going to say, um, well, you know, they, they were, they did their job and, and they, they passed doing what they loved. Like, is that okay? Like they're not soldiers, like they're, they're, they're educators. And that's what bothers that's me. The, that's the truth. We're, we're, we're moms, we're dads, we're sisters, we're brothers, you know, we're, <laughs> we're community folk. We're, we, we're not equipped to react in the way that they want us to. We're educators, reading math, you know, science, social studies. That's what we do. And we nurture and we serve children. And now our whole mindset is supposed to shift and we're supposed to be able to handle hundreds of children in in a building. Yeah, it's... It's definitely, it doesn't have to be this way. I'll say that. And and the reason I say that is because I'm watching um, over in Oregon. Um, The governor of Oregon says that schools will not reopen in person until there is a substantial decline. So to give you some numbers to back this up, 5.4% of the tests are coming back positive in the state of Oregon. um, And they're seeing an infection rate of about 50 people per 100,000 residents. And they're saying that's not enough. In fact, they're not ready to go back to school until that test positivity rate is at 5% or lower. And they're at 10 cases per 100,000 residents rather than And 50. they expect those numbers to be consistent for a couple of weeks in a row. Exactly. And, and the, you know, here in Mississippi, we're kind of with our cases, we're bouncing around like, you know, anywhere from 
400 is a good day and, and a bad day is when we start jumping over a thousand again. And so we're kind of in between that range from day to day. Um, right now in Oregon, they're around 300 cases per day and they want to get down to 60 cases per day. So it just shows you, and here we are, we're, we're, you know, full speed ahead and they're, they're trying to get down to 60 cases per day. So, you know, it, it can be done differently. Now, I don't know what's right and what's wrong. I will say this, this all sounds pessimistic. My son's in school. I do not know of him or any of his friends that appear or have COVID. So, I mean, it, you know, I don't know if that means anything at all, but I, I have not personally seen a case, I guess. And we haven't personally seen a case either. And my son is virtual. He went to school on the first day. He was uncomfortable with some activities that took place and the transitions in the hallway felt to him no different than pre-COVID. And so when I came home that day, he requested to switch to virtual. And, and he is, is it, still attending fourth block athletics and football practice. Okay. And and so how is the virtual learning going for him? Uh it's fine. I mean And it's been just know, a week, but Yeah, it's just been a week, but I mean, you know, he's in he's his mama's child, so he he logs in on time, he does his work, he reads, he, you know, everything. Like he was one of the few children in the spring, right to the very end that continued until the school officially said, okay, we're done with virtual learning. So he understands, but probably because he has a principal for a mama. <laughs> he doesn't have a choice. Right. I did see uh, a pretty neat story out of Madison, Mississippi. Apparently, the um, football coach there has it was a, a really poor kidney function. I think it was like stage four, stage five mm-hmm. um, kidney function, but he's still coaching. And the way he's doing that is he got one of those, um, those like platforms that kind of raise up and down, you know, like a construction type platform. And mm-hmm. he's going out there on that platform and he's, they're raising him into the air and he's coaching from up high um so i thought that was his vantage point is really good though too. yeah i mean from a coaching Um, standpoint if you're just the mm -hmm. head coach you don't need to be on the ground with the kids it kind of makes sense no i think that's awesome his view and what he can see and the the even the approach to a play and he can catch the error from a different perspective i mean that actually is that's pretty clever i think i need to share that with my husband (laughs) right yeah no or, or any anyone that needs it um and you're outside i mean i feel like you would still be in a pretty pretty safe setting there. Um, mm-hmm. so, so what's your take on this, this reporting stuff that we were talking about at the top of the show? I mean, why, why would a school not want to report? Is it just a stigma thing or I don't know. I don't get the motive there. Well, um, the, you have to, the question is why would a school, but at the end of the day, it's not going to be an organizational decision. There's an individual Generally, this is just my perspective. Mm -hmm. There's an individual who would feel uncomfortable with reporting the numbers, especially if their numbers are grand. And there's an individual who wants to try to protect um, what they think they're doing is uh, protect the school or protect the image or protect the. But we're in a pandemic and none of that should matter. It is not. I don't think say it's, it's not a reflective or a mark on you yeah. if you have COVID. It's I mean, it's a pandemic. It's going to spread. And the more we share information, the more we learn from it, the more we can protect others, the more we can make adjustments within the building if we're serving face to face. So I just think that I don't think there's a school board coming together with district administration and saying we're going to keep it a secret. I just feel if something like that happens, it has to be an individual who's making a decision on how the information is being reported. And it's not benefiting their school community because people will relax when they think there's no there's the problem is going away or it's not an issue in their school community. And that is the gravest mistake 
behind not reporting your numbers. Yeah, I don't think, like, as a society, we need to, it's not reflective of if your school gets a bunch of cases or has an outbreak. Like, that doesn't necessarily mean that you did something wrong as a principal or a superintendent or anything. Absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, it just, it's it's very, extremely hard to control. And, um, I mean, there are things that some districts can do that may help. And I hope we do as many of those things as possible. But it doesn't mean you're not doing your job if you have an outbreak. Let me... Let me give you my perspective um, as being a principal and I'm opening school tomorrow. And this weekend was my birthday weekend. Right. I, I decided I'm celebrating the entire weekend, right? Right. And you deserve it. And yeah. And and I've never done that. I, I normally just keep it rolling and I take care of everybody else. And my birthday comes and goes. And so this weekend, I just said, you know, hey, I'm going to do for myself. And I drove down to the coast and I decided I'm going to hit a dive. I'm going to have some shrimp and whatever. And I looked around the room to enter the restaurant. You had to have your mask on. And I'm going to tell you where I'm going with the story. But once you sit down to have beverages or a meal, obviously the mask has to come off. Right. The restaurants have done an excellent job of removing tables and chairs to help with parties of, you know, anywhere from one to six um, social distance from the other table. But let's be realistic. Okay. So I've celebrated. I went out to eat yesterday. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going back in the building on Monday. And if I get sick within a week or two, it doesn't necessarily mean that I contracted COVID from inside of my school building. No, and that's the that's the angle that I want a lot of people to understand that we're still pumping gas, we're still picking up groceries, Mm -hmm. we're still going to the doctor or running our errands. We're you know we're still seeing family um, members, you know, seeing family members, speaking to neighbors, just different. We're touching surfaces, and that's another thing that I really keep pushing um, at my school is that while we're trying to social distance and we're wearing our mask, we also have to remember to sanitize, 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 and teaching our team the difference between disinfecting and sanitizing Um, because you have to clean a surface first and that's disinfecting it and then sanitizing it to kill, you know, the germs of, of any type of virus that might exist. And so we just have to keep in mind that, you know, Coming down with COVID does not mean that we're not running our school buildings appropriately, that our districts are not following the restart and reopening plans, but that there's so many um, variables, I don't know if the right term, variables to to play in this on how um, COVID is, is being spread. And, you know, I'm disinfecting my home as much as possible. But I can't disinfect every corner, right? I can't be here every time my husband or my sons enter or exit our home. Mm-hmm. And so when I come home, I mean, we have some procedures that I requested to put in place <laughs> when we walk in the door, but let's just be realistic. It's, you know, I, and I want to be careful in what I say, but it's almost like, okay, we're all going to get COVID at some point. Some of us will never have a symptom. Some of us will have a few symptoms and we'll know about it and we're able to protect others. And some of us are going to suffer and struggle from the symptoms of it and know, and then quarantine ourselves away from everyone. We just have to, as a nation, do a better job of putting safety measures and following them to protect others Mm -hmm. and get out of self. 
that's my soapbox for today. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you 100%. I heard early on in March, um, it was an infectious disease expert. He said, we need to quit thinking of how we move around the community as if like, how am I not going to get COVID? We need to mm-hmm. think of the mindset of how am I not going to spread COVID? He's like, if, exactly. everyone, if everyone thinks with that mindset of how am I not, you already have it and I don't want to spread it, we mm-hmm. will all be safer for it. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, I mean, he was right. I mean, and that's, that's, that's very right. much where we are today. That's There's how we a few have to things react. that's changed though. I will say that at some point, um, the CDC recommended anybody with a fever over 99.6, um, you know, consider getting tested. You may, that might be a, a symptom that you've come down with COVID. I want to tell you, I don't know if you know this, they have now changed it to 100 degrees. Huh, no, I didn't. And I'm curious, I don't know if you'd be able to share this with us in, in a week from now, but like how many kids are actually going to be showing up at the door with a temperature? Like, I'm, I'm, is that happening? Like, or is it just something that we're doing that's not really well i will tell you there were recommendations um obviously on how to develop your restart and recovery plan and so some some scenarios that we discussed and then put parameters in place we have temperature gauges at both student entrances because you have a bus entrance and you have a car line entrance Mm -hmm. at the car line i requested my teachers to um line up along the sidewalk when the car door opens we're going to take temps right then. If you're 100 or higher, you're not getting out of the car. I'm so sorry you have to go to work, but you're going to have to take your child with you. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, when they do ride the bus, we've cut bus numbers down. You know, you used to see 60, 72 kids on a bus, depending on the size of the bus. We've cut it down to, to 24. Mm. Um, hopefully that'll still work out with the hybrid plan, but as they exit their buses, they're going to walk up to a temp table and I have a number of people there that are going to check temps. If they have a temperature, they'll stand to the side for a few moments because what if a kid drank a coffee or a hot tea or a hot bowl of oatmeal, give them a few minutes to adjust their body temperature, check it again. If it's still too high, we have what's called our containment room. And that room is away from the entire instructional area. Um, it's not designed for them to stay there all day. It's designed for them to pull away from the masses and contact a parent to see what they want to do. We can't force them to get a COVID test, but we could recommend, hey, maybe he's getting a little cold. Maybe, you know, he's got a toothache. Who knows? Depending on the rate level. And we need you to take some type of measure. Come pick them up. Now, if they're showing even more symptoms um, over just having a tent, they've got some excessive coughing. They just look horrible. I'm just going to tell you now, I'm putting on a gown, I'm gloving up, and the SRO and I are going to do home visits. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to have to take some kids home. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the real deal. I'm just curious, like, are are we going to find that kids are showing up to school with fevers and didn't know it? Well, well yes, because those schools that started weeks before us already have numbers of children um, who were identified as testing positive or okay. having symptoms, you know, and we've seen those articles out. We know of schools with entire football teams under quarantine right now as we're recording. Mm-hmm. I'm local. Yeah. Oh, in Lauderdale County, they actually shut down an elementary school there. I know. So mm-hmm. there are outbreaks happening. I think Biloxi High School's fighting with one right now. Mm-hmm. Um, um, we have a school in, in Jones County. Yeah. And it, it's, it's hard. I saw the Biloxi superintendent um it was in the sun herald newspaper and he was pleading with parents 
to not let the kids gather on the weekends. He's like, they're going out, mm-hmm. to, you know, to parties and or just get togethers, and and that's causing spread. As a parent, I don't know. It's tough. I mean, it's tough. Cause, well, it's the same things happening with our college kids, right? Okay? Well, that's they've bars all and stuff returned I get. back to campus. You know? um, they've all returned back to campus from wherever they were living, staying, visiting, vacationing. It's happening. It's it, it's mixed signals, though, for a parent, because it's like this is what a, the way a parent, a many parents think um, they'll say, all right, so you don't want my child to even hang out with a group of five or 10 friends on the weekend, but it's OK for it to send them to school. I can be around mm-hmm. thousands of kids like so that's the way a parent's thinking. I, I think we're all thinking in that sense where we're watching governmental meetings take place. Um, you know, on, mm-hmm. on video, we're still watching, watching that our, our cho- churches are closed and different venues are not available. You, you're, you're limiting numbers for funerals and weddings. I have almost 700 studi- students on my school roster and we're opening tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, and it's difficult. Like my, my 15 year old, you know, he, he's at that age where they all want to get together. They all want to do stuff. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's Friday and Saturday, like Friday night, he's like, Hey, mm-hmm. can I go to my girlfriend's house? Her family's in town. And I'm like, okay, well, when you say her family, Where's her family coming from, where are, they, where, where are they coming from? How many people are we going to have 20 people? Is this like a family reunion or is this like just grandma? And, you know, and he was said, um, you know, there's only gonna be six of us there. I'm like, okay, you can go. Well, but, but I said, yeah. you're going to need to keep your distance from grandma because you've been around other kids all day, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so don't get close to their grandma. Like, and that's my concern as well as my son. Um, wants to socialize with his friends and go to a pool party here or, you know, they hang out at one of the local fast food restaurants. And it's just like, I don't want anybody in your car. I don't want you mm-hmm. getting in anyone's car. Are you wearing your mask? I put extra mask in your glove compartment. <laughs> right. You know, but at the same time, we need to think about the impact on our kids' mental health because it's, it's a balance. Socializing is a part of human nature. And to completely cut it off, which is kind of what we did this spring when we mm-hmm. when it first hit, and yeah, been you know, the whole nation was quarantining. It's that was miserable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we for all of us, we've asked a lot from them. So, so I guess I, to say all that, when I hear the Biloxi superintendent, who I get it, he's dealing with issues, but say like to parents, you know, they shouldn't be hanging out with other people on the weekends. I don't, I don't know how to react to that as a parent, just for all of the reasons we just. I think discussed. he should have been a little more careful with his words and been extremely specific. Parties with fifty kids coming over, you know, mm-hmm. be specific yeah. about it. Indoor like, you parties, know, and if you, you know, yeah, and if you're having playtime with the kids, you know, help them to social distance and encourage them to wear masks instead of just saying don't socialize at all, because that is going to have a serious negative impact on our young people. Right. Um, I will um, plug one more thing. We're about to wrap, but um, and I'm just going to put a link um, in the show notes on this, and I'll say what okay. it's about. It was an NPR story, um, and it was about how to make sure a school's heating and air system is as up to date and as safe as possible. And it's kind of kind of technical. It talks about like filters and UV lights and stuff like that. And it also says there's no silver bullet, so don't let anyone tell you that there is. Like this is this will keep you safe. No, that, that but where's exist. the funding? But I'll, let me hush. Well, that's true. That's true. But I think there are things that your your building maintenance person can do in terms of just making sure the system's operating properly. Mm-hmm. And also, there's something about like cycling the system and making sure you yes. have new filters. So yes. so I'm just going to put the link in there. If so, if there's an administrator listening who wants to say, hey, are we doing this to, you know, your maintenance person or whatever, they can grab that link and send it and, you know, just kind of check that box. So uh, are you ready for today's Brad idea? I am. I really, I'm really excited about it. Hey, again, happy birthday to you. (laughs) 
Thank you. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is here to offer some hope for maybe some discouraged teachers out there. Rebecca Potter is an English teacher at Anderson High School in Central Kentucky, and she's the author of Both Sides, The Classroom from Where I Stand. It's a uh, newly released book. Welcome to Class Dismissed, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm really excited to have you because this book is is very personal. I was reading through it, and and you really put together a collection of of narrative essays where you share real life experiences from your time in the classroom. I mean, why did you decide to write the book in, in this format? Um, for a lot of reasons. Um, first of all, it, it came naturally to me um, to be so personal. That's my personality. Um, it, the other thing is, I think that as a teacher, um, it's important that as part of building the empathy within our classroom, that we're not afraid to share story um, with our students um, while maintaining the professional boundary, of course. But I begin every year telling the story of my father. Uh, he was um, raised very poor. Um, in abject poverty and did not have an opportunity for education, had to drop out um, early in his 11th grade year. And that's what I teach is 11th grade and did not have the opportunities that many of my students have. And it's because of him that I teach. And I tell this to my students every year, this story, and um, I see him in my students. So right away, there's a connection. Um, between myself and my students. So by building that connection through story, I'm able to create the rapport and the relationship so I can be a more effective teacher. Um, But the reason I want to be an effective teacher is because I actually care about my students. Um, And the other reason is, um, the reason I want to be so personal is um, to give other teachers, like you said, encouragement and hope that we are not robots. We are not superhuman um, auto autotrons just out there with some um, strange ability to change the world um, without fallibility, um, that we're human um, and that we are often weak and that this is, in, in a lot of ways, a job that's too difficult for any one person. So I wanted to show my weaknesses. And as I was reading through it, I kind of was picking up on a theme, and I don't know if, if this was intentional or not, but it's almost this theme of, as a teacher, sometimes you don't know if you're even making a difference in the students that you're working with at the time, but you may find out later that you did. Is that something that, am I right there? Oh, you are totally right on. It is incredibly discouraging as a classroom teacher, um, to the, the, the mundane every day, wh- whatever grade you're teaching, to, um, to battle with the, the students who don't want to be here, who are disgruntled, who are upset, who are discipline problems, and to, to just deal with that every single day. Um, so I'm hopeful that these stories remind teachers that, that even when... Um, we're faced with those sour faces and sour situations that what we are doing does make a difference. It's just that we, we're not seeing it in the now um, and that it is important um, later 
Um, so yeah, exactly. That's totally true. Well, let's draw a picture of kind of the, the community that you teach in. Um, I, I mentioned that you're in central Kentucky. And I think in one of the earlier chapters, you kind of describe almost like going on a field trip nearby and kind of driving and seeing, I guess, some of the places that, that your students live in, right? Yeah, yeah. A, a few years ago, our, our principal did a wonderful activity. Um, he had us to to board a couple of school buses and drove us out into the county. We live in um, a rural part of the state, which most of Kentucky is rural. And, and when you say us, I'm sorry, when you say us, you mean like you and other teachers? This isn't you yes. and the students? Gotcha. No, no. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, it was um, the, the faculty. And he, we drove through the county, which uh, many of us live in the county, but I live in a, in a nice subdivision. I don't live out in the county, um, and some of the the areas where our students live, it's really nice. Some of the areas where our students live, it's it's just to be blunt, it's not so nice. Um, and it doesn't take away from their value. It just it it's just the honest truth that a lot of our students have financial difficulties. A lot of our students have um, difficult lives that we aren't aware of or that we are choosing to not be aware of. And um, it's it's remarkable how easy it is to not consider that when we're in the classroom teaching them. And it doesn't mean that we need to feel sorry for them. I want to make sure to, to make that clear. Mm-hmm. We need to have those high expectations for all of our students. But when we understand where they're, they're coming from and when we understand their stories, um, we can better relate to them, better understand them, better serve them, and better teach them, and and better love them. Um, let's let's go ahead. This is probably a good time to. There was one story that jumped out at me, and I'm going to have you read um, just a couple paragraphs from it. It was um, Carly's story, and I think it it kind of illustrates, you know, some of the challenges that that the students that you work with. Over the course of the next several months, Carly spoke little in class and would shrink away when I came near. Sometimes her retorts were angry, and often she rolled her eyes. She wore a secret hurt loudly, not trusting my gentle, sweetie, I care about you passing this class, and pulling away from my hand on her back. She wore it in the weeping she had not yet allowed herself to do. Instead, she was apathetic and angry. I struggled to know how to convince her it was safe to let me care about her. She rarely smiled and never laughed. But she was listening, and she was writing. She wrote in oversized bubble letters on the Get to Know You index card. She wrote, I'm Carly. I don't really like English. I just need to pass this class. A little later, in a writing journal, she wrote, My mom is really pretty. She's kind of a bitch, though. I miss her. Then in an essay about heroes, she wrote, My mama is my hero. She drives a bus every day just so she can support me. I live with her. Her son is my dad. He's in prison again. I'm glad I have mama." But she has too many rules. In another writing journal, she wrote, I hate my dad. I'm so mad. Why did he mess everything up? Why did he pick drugs over me? Thanks for listening and not thinking bad about me, Miss P. Just so you know, I don't do drugs. So as you're reading through that, those those writing journals, I mean, what's going through your mind as a teacher? So much. First of all, what is astounding, and, and I think other high school teachers especially will attest to this, how common this is. Um, that is what is really upsetting. Um, the, the second thing is relief that she's opening up to me mm-hmm. and that she is 
a real person um, and that she's finally being vulnerable. Um, of course, I talked to the counselors. That's always important to do with her knowledge. I never betray the trust of my students. And and Carly was with me for two years as a sophomore and then as a junior. And it was not all roses. She was very, um, she had a bit of an attitude, but of course she did. Of course she did. And I held her accountable. I wrote that child up more than once. Um, but now she is, um, she, I still keep in touch with her. And she has a beautiful child and she has a job and she is doing wonderfully in life. And it's, it's not because she wrote in my journal, in my class, it's, it's because of a whole lot of things and a whole, uh, uh, many adults pouring into her life. Um, but the point of the story is Carly was more than the son of a, of a druggie and a drug dealer and a prisoner. Carly matters. Yeah, and I guess as I read it, you you ran in to Carly later, mm-hmm. um, and and I guess you probably weren't really sure that Carly was on the right path at the end of your class, right? I guess you didn't find out until you ran into that that student later on. Oh, exactly. Yeah, uh, even at graduation, um, you're you're exactly right because you you don't know you you don't know, um, and and the last essay in the book points to that. You just don't. No. And so what's the message to a, to a young teacher that hasn't been in this long enough? I mean, you've been teaching, I think, what, for about 15 years. Yeah. You kind of, you've had these experiences to know that you've had success to, to have a student come back to you and say, thanks. You know, that, that means a lot for a teacher. I mean, what's your message to a, stu- uh, to a teacher that's only been doing this for, say, two or three years and hasn't had a chance to see those successes? Yeah, that's a, that's a, a great question. I, I would think that the end results matter obviously, but more importantly, what matters is what we're doing right now. Um, and that we, the, the, the point is that we are, are pouring into our students now that we are consistently living joyfully and compassionately each day for each student in our room. Cause that's all that we can do. And that whatever happens when they're outside of our classroom that's that's not I hate to say not for us to worry about, but of co- because of course we're concerned. But as long as we're doing what we can when they're under our care, that's that's good enough because that's a lot. Um, and then, even though we may not see the results or the results may not be what we want them to be, at least we've done our part. Um, at least we've done something good, um, and and that's a wonderful thing. It is. It, and I don't want to give away too much of the book, but there was another uh, short story in there. And, and that's what I really liked about this is because like, this is the type of book that you could pick up and just read one of these every morning real quick before you head off to school. It's not, you know, and you could, you could jump around really, even if you, you needed to. Um, and, and there was one in there that's called With Submission. And, and you talk about um, how you tried to kick a student out of, out of your class, out of your AP English class. Tell us about that a little bit. Oh, yes, um, I did. And it's not because he was a behavior problem. Um, I, it, I just didn't think AP was for him. And I didn't think he was enjoying it because he wasn't interacting. And I thought he would do better in a regular English class. And he, his grades weren't that wonderful. And um, this was a mistake on my part. But I wasn't doing anything, un, anything unprofessional. I wasn't. Everything I did was correct professionally. Um, but it he was very, very quiet. 
he didn't speak. Um, and I don't want to give too much away, like you said. Um, but I totally misjudged this student. Um, and the, the moral of this is you just never know how far your reach is as a teacher for good or for bad. Um, and that's why it is so important that we know and, and remember um, that power that we possess and that we are consistently compassionate um, because we often underestimate the good that we are doing in the classroom. And, and that's an encouragement. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a definite encouragement for teachers. Well, and, and it does have a happy ending, but why did you want to put yourself out there like that? Why tell that story? Again, I think it's a vulnerability. I think that um, I, I was very careful in this book. I didn't want to present myself as a superhero teacher because I am not a superhero teacher. And I, I resent those kinds of books where it's like, oh my gosh, that teacher that just saves a day and look how perfect and wonderful he or she is. And I can't live up to that. Um, and so I, and that's a false reality anyway. Um, so that was part of the purpose of this story. And, and the other purpose of it was to show that even when we make a mistake or a misjudgment, perhaps, we're still doing a lot of things correctly um, and a lot of things well. Um, so I think that was a huge part of it. Plus, you, it was just a good story. <laughs> it was a great story. And, and, and who's your audience for this book, in your opinion? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I, I think it's teachers, for sure, because I, I'm hopeful that it's encouraging. But I also want it to be people outside of education. Um, I think that it serves to give a really interesting look of what goes on inside of a classroom. Um, maybe a little differently than what people think, especially like my essay um, about a Thursday. Um, this is what really happens. I literally for that essay just listed out what one of my days looks like. Um, it's so, uh, and education is important as you know, and, and as you um, done a really good job on your podcast explaining it's this touches every single person we are all stakeholders in education um, so i'm I'm hopeful that it's a broad audience how are you and your colleagues doing today I mean here we are I guess I haven't even asked you what type of format you're going back to class with are y'all all in person all week or are you guys in a hybrid model well for the first um, couple of weeks at least until the end of September we are all online um, we are doing a really um, wonderful thing, though. We are allowing students to um, meet with teachers in small groups of no more than 10. Um, so I think that's fantastic. Well, wow, um, I really like that. So, yeah. so what's the idea you're targeting? How are you targeting these smaller groups and, and deciding it's, who's in what group? It's fantastic. So um, what we'll do is in the mornings, we'll have a, um, there's a schedule laid out um, and so each teacher can basically do it how he or she wants, but every single student will have an opportunity to meet with their teachers. So it's not any particular group. Um, so it, as long as it's, and it's like um, first, third, and fifth will be on Mondays and Wednesdays, and then second, fourth, and sixth will be on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So everybody will get to meet with their 
class at least once a week or so. So I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but oh, that's so much better than nothing. And then um, they'll have opportunity in the afternoons to meet live, um, like on Zoom or Google Meet, if they need to do that. So we've given them a couple different options. And all of that is optional because, you know, we can't force a kid to be here um, during um, online learning. So um, I appreciate what our district has done, actually, with being really flexible with our families during this difficult time. Well, I just love that idea because, you know, we recently had done an episode on just how do you humanize um, your classroom at a distance and, and the small groups will help so much with that. I mean, the opportunity for a new teacher to meet with a new student, you know, in person in a small group, I mean, it's just going to really connect you so much better with those students when you are teaching remotely. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I am very, very pleased that our district made that decision because I, I'm, I'm at, uh, honestly, at a loss, I'm struggling, and like like all teachers are, we'll, we're going to be okay. This is going to be an interesting challenge, um, but I think it's going to be more of a challenge for the teachers. To be honest with you, I know my my teenage sons are fine communicating um, online, um, but even they need that face to face human interaction. Um, but I think it's it's the teachers who are going to have to learn a little bit about the online stuff. Yeah, I imagine that will be the case in, in some situations. I mean, do you feel like you're better prepared today than you were when you were thrusted into that world last March? Oh, definitely. I have learned more about um, online learning in the past few months than I ever thought. And that's but that's a, a good thing. You know, teachers are lifelong learners. We, at least we should be. Even if, it, if it's not technology, we should be constantly learning, right? I mean, that's, that's the job of an educator is no matter what, we should be learning. Um, so I think um, while I you know, hate that we're in this situation, it's good to stretch ourselves. Um, and I appreciate um, all of the resources that we have available to us. I am a little bit overwhelmed with the amount of resources. So I think that's a good problem to have. <laughs> right. Well, again, the uh, book is Both Sides, The Classroom from Where I Stand. And we're talking to Rebecca Potter. Uh, Rebecca, if somebody wants to keep up with you, I mean, do you like to blog anywhere or do you like to hang out on Twitter? What's your kind of hang out? Yes, I do blog. So my website is BeccaEPotter.com. And um, you can also follow me on Instagram, Potter underscore Rebecca. All right. Thanks again so much for your time. Are you ready for our pop quiz? Yes, I am. All right. First question. If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? Of course, English. (laughs) (laughs) What are are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? We're teaching foreign language, but I think we should be teaching it more to the fluency level and offering more choices. What does every child deserve? To be heard. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? The amount expected of them. What's the best gift to give an educator? Encouragement. Which teacher changed your life? Mr. Davidson. He was my um, middle school English teacher and seminar teacher. Um, I had him... uh, for three years, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade for two class periods a day. Um, and he has passed away, um, but he certainly changed my life. Um, was there something he did that? He was the quintessential 
tough teacher and his high expectations. Uh, but at the same time, he made me believe that I was capable and um, gave me a love for writing and did not make me feel like I was outside of ability. That he, he did not make me feel like I was the other. He made me feel like I belonged in success. Good stuff. And last question, mm-hmm. pen or pencil? Definitely pen. All right. Again, we're talking with uh, Rebecca Potter and the book is titled Both Sides, The Classroom from Where I Stand. Rebecca, thank you for joining us on Class Dismissed. Thank you for having me. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismiss. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina, representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed. <laughs>